John's kicking it off tonight, and just, again, very excited about it. He's already got study guides together, and I believe we even have enough books maybe tonight. So, uh, Brother John, are you ready? Okay, I'll keep talking while he's doing that. Hey, I can't show these guys all these tools up here now for Sunday, and I better cover those up. <laughs> We're getting ready for Father's Day uh, Sunday, so again... Apologize for it being so hot. When it's uh, when it's this hot, this building will not cool it down in the evening. We're, we're good in the mornings, but late in the day, uh, it just will not keep up. So, praise the Lord. How many love the Word? How many's hidden a little bit of it in your heart? Hallelujah! Isn't it amazing how it just rises up in you sometime? Today I was preaching that funeral, and there were stuff that were not in my notes that just started coming out, you know, and it's uh, nothing but the Word of God that's been planted there, and it comes in the right, at the right time, doesn't it? A word fitly spoken, and there's nothing like the true Word of God being fitly spoken into a heart. So, you ready? Yeah, I'm just counting books. Okay. Yeah, we're getting close. I think we need four more. Well, welcome, everybody. I got two. Let me know if y'all can still feel that. If I need to, I'll scoot this back. (laughs) Terry says, just point it straight here. So as Pastor was mentioning, this is a book that that I think both of us feel is really uh, speaking to times that we're in now, and not just now, but, um, uh-huh. close the gap, yeah, okay, okay, thank you, is it, I was wondering about that, so, not only do we know how important the word is in all of our lives, and it has been since, since the Bible was first written, but, sorry, I have to learn. <laughs> so, uh, but this book will just help direct us and uh, reiterate the importance of how the word, how vital the word is in every part of our lives. Daily, in our own lives, in our ministries, in our families, in our kids, in our jobs, in our prayers, in everything that we do, we conduct ourselves according to the word. So, uh, Pastor John MacArthur, he wrote the foreword, and there's a few things that I want to pull out from this. If anybody hasn't ever heard of uh, John MacArthur, he's a pastor out in California, and uh, he does a pretty good job. He's a pretty good pastor. Um, but he says, it's clear that marriage as an institution is in serious trouble. On Sunday nights, I know we've been talking a lot about some of the things we're fixing to point out here. Since the 1960s, sorry, Bev, I didn't get you one. Uh, society has rapidly and recklessly adopted new values, educational philosophies, and even government re- regulations that are hostile to God's blueprint for marriage. Uh, certain institutions have aggressively tried to normalize whatever is aberrant and to celebrate whatever is dysfunctional. Uh, our society's tolerance of homosexuality, pornography, abortion, and other evils have only further undermined the moral basis of family life. Because the nuclear family, how many have ever heard that term, nuclear family? It's not something that's taught anymore. The nuclear family, which consists of father, mother, and children, is the most basic social unit and therefore the foundation of society itself. Destroy the bonds that hold marriages together and the community at large unravels as we see happening today. Christians should be seeking to counter the trends of a marriage-hostile society by making the Word of God the center and focus of their own lives. So then we get over to the introduction, written by uh, Mr. Uh, Barnett. And in the first paragraph, it says, A key insight to God's 
plan to reach the world through Christ, through Christ's church that we see in Titus. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. How many of us can say we honestly do that today? We look for the appearing of our Lord and Savior. It's part of our day. Yes. When the gospel of Jesus Christ entered the Roman world of the New Testament, the landscape was very bleak. Just like today, Christ's church was born into a sin-warped, sin-darkened world of mixed-up marriages, sin-scarred lives, and confused families. We still see the same things going on today, huh? On the next page, uh, halfway down the next page, it says, With 600,000 families fresh out of Egypt's idolatry to guide and nurture in the word of the Lord, the need was great. Uh... They, they are different. I forgot to mention that. I mentioned that last night, but I forgot to mention that tonight. So there's, there's two versions. I, I couldn't. I apologize. I apologize. But yes, there's two versions. I couldn't get all the same versions. I got lucky to even get the 11 books that we ordered. So for some reason, nobody really had that many. Um, I have the original, and I'm in the introduction. So the Ford, which was written by John MacArthur, and then I'm, I'm two pages into the introduction. There's not an introduction in those books. Okay, okay, well, okay. I apologize for that. I, I looked through and I, I looked at the two different versions and the, the pages, some of the, most of it's all the same, but there's gaps in pages, so. Nothing in Titus about, no, 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 okay. Yeah, see, I have, I have like, I think the original one, so. Oh, and this also, I forgot to mention, was first brought to us by my sister here. She's the one that turned me on to this. She gave it to me and said, read this. Okay, well, I'm just going to read through this, a couple highlights of this then before we get into it, since y'all's doesn't even have this. But uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 8, okay, you got that? Okay. So it says, In these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The word is very important. So, this last little bit here, it's talking about parenting. And I like what he says. He says, we fell, so, again, it's talking about parenting, but this goes into life itself. We, we fell so often because until heaven, we are imperfect. I am an in, imperfect husband. I married an imperfect wife. We have an imperfect Marriage that has produced imperfect children, which we have raised imperfectly. However, we have a perfect Father in heaven who has given his flawless word as a guide to the light pathway for us to follow his plan. And that plan is to have a word filled life. Psalms 119.11 which I did not write down. I can find it real fast. Psalms 119, 
Yep. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then, on the last page of introduction, if you guys have this, which this might be a very bad question, but I'm pretty sure all you should have it. It talks about three, there's three, I believe, Latin words. Those are the answer to the first, first question. Fida, only by faith can we enter into Christ. Grata, only by grace can we continue walking with him. And scriptura, only by the word-filled life can we become what God wants us to be. So then we get into chapter 1, which in my book is page 2. It's, uh, there's a poem called Living for Jesus. I don't know what page that is in yours. Page 4, maybe? Yeah? Page 4. It is nice when they all line up, isn't it? But <laughs> it's hard to find all the same book. Okay, everybody there? So I want to read this, this statement. Now, I, we should all be very zealous for our Savior. But listen to the... What's the right word? The, uh, the sold-outness that this particular gentleman has for his cause... And see how it should relate to our sold-outness for Christ. So this, this guy is writing to his girlfriend. He says, This is one thing which I am indeed earnest about, and that is the communist cause. It is my life, my business, my religion, my hobby, my sweetheart, my wife, my mistress, my bread and my meat. I work at it in the daytime and dream of it at night. It holds on its hold on me grows, not lessens, as time goes on. Therefore, I cannot carry on a friendship, a love affair, or even a conversation without relating it to the force which both drives and guides my life. I evaluate people, looks, ideals, and actions according to how they affect the communist cause and by their attitude toward it. I've already been in jail because of my ideals, and if necessary, I'm willing to go before the firing squad. Exactly right, Dan. That was passion. That was the point I was trying to make. We see, we've talked about this before, uh, so many lazy churches and Christians. This gentleman had that much drive for a political cause. How many Christians have you met that had that much drive for Jesus Christ? And then the next paragraph it says, now that, it's total, now that is total dedication. Don't you find it amazing that humans can produce such intense devotion even without divine help? God's grace, the Spirit's power, and Christ's love is what should be the motivating factor. And this uh, poem here, I'm going to read it to you because it points out some really good stuff and it comes up later in the chapter. But it says, living for Jesus, a life that is true, striving to please him in all that I do, yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free, this is the pathway of blessing for me. Living for Jesus, who died in my place, bearing on Calvary's my sin in disgrace, such love constrains me to answer his call, follow his leading, and give him my all. Living for Jesus wherever I am, doing each duty in his holy name, willing to suffer affliction and loss, Deeming each trial a part of my cross. Living for Jesus through earth's little while, my dearest treasure, the light of his smile. Seeking the lost ones he died to redeem, 
bringing the weary to find rest in his name. I give myself to thee, for thou in thy atonement didst give thyself for me. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live, O Christ, for thee alone. They were really um, elegant in their writing style. But it's so true. On this earth for a little while, his biggest treasure is his father's smile, bringing weary to find rest in him. So many true things of what we as the body should be doing, at least thinking about. It's hard in all of life's ups and downs and busybodiness and kids and soccer games and, and PTA meetings and everything else that we have to go through to really put that much attention and focus upon God. It's hard for any of us. Even pastor, who is our pastor, still has a full-time job and other things to do on top of that. So can he devote as much time as he would like to? Probably not. I'm sure there's times he wishes he could spend more time with the Lord. And the second paragraph says, according to Mark 4.20, Jesus calls this process accepting the word. This means welcoming his word into our hearts, minds, and wills by embracing Jesus in his way as our own. And that is the essence of living word-filled life. Word-filled family is built upon the foundation of a word-filled life, a personal, spiritual, and daily touch with the Lord. Christ's call to total dedication can be traced in the Gospels where he, started, where he stated that we can't even be his disciples unless we desire to possess certain godly characteristics. In Luke 14, 26, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now this particular scripture, I know if you bring it up in the world, can invoke an odd response. We have to understand, which we're fixing to get into, what is meant by the word hate in this particular passage. It doesn't mean hate is what you and I conceive it as now, does it? The word hate in this verse has to do with a comparison of loves. In other words, our love for God is to be so great that in comparison, love for even the dearest of family and friends should seem as hatred. Is that easy to do? For anybody. I mean, I know we love our kids. We love our wives. I, God gave me my wife. And I cherish every minute with her. But to put her above God would not be the right thing to do. God has to be first and foremost in everything. It says, we will be continually confronted both in good times and the bad with whether we are going to obey Christ and his word or, or buckle under pressure to compromise our faith and go with the crowd. Each opportunity to serve God represents this test. Whom do we love most? If we do not give Christ the preeminence he deserves, he says that we are not worthy of him. Matthew 10, 33. In 37 and 38 he who loves mom and dad son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me 38 he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me we'll talk about the cross here in a minute 
And also, uh, page three had the answer to number two. Yes. You get that? Everybody got number two? Uh, yes. Yep. Got that? Um, on the next paragraph, loving God with an unrivaled love means that we will esteem nothing, family, friends, possessions, jobs, fame, power, pleasures, and especially ourselves of more worth to us than he is. What is his worthship to you? On the page, I'm on page five. What page are y'all on? Six? Yeah. Ashley says. Hmm. Word filled bodies are offered completely to Christ. You're on page seven? Okay. Okay. So, dying to self is a prerequisite to living for Christ. Paul wrote of this when he said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. In spite of the cost of death to self, and whatever personal suffering that may bring, a dedicated disciple will follow after Christ wherever he chooses to lead. Is that true? But again, is that easy for us to do? When everything else, all the other pressures of life are piling up, can be real hard to stop in the midst of the storm and praise God. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Amen, it does. Just one second here. So Galatians 5.12. That's the wrong scripture. Our, our flesh wars against the spirit. The spirit against the flesh. Our wills are pitted against God's when we do not bear the cross of self-denial and that is prideful pride is the root of all sin because self competes with God for control and glory in Mark 14 36 it's when Jesus is in the garden and he says not my will but yours be done in all things in life it should be his will above our own John 15.10, I'm on top of page 6. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as Jesus kept his fathers and abide, abided in his love. 
living a life that is uncompromising when it comes to bearing the cross of self-denial is a mark of true discipleship. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Luke 14, 33. How many of you remember the day that you got saved? Did you die to self that day? Was it a process? Is it still a process we work on every day? Yes. But in time, and sometimes for some people, some things instantaneously lose their luster and lore and flavor. Sometimes it takes a little work. So because Christ purchased us with his blood, we belong wholly to him. In light of this, he expects us to acknowledge his rightful ownership by not holding back anything for ourselves. And that goes from tithing to prayer to your innermost thoughts, everything. He wants to be a part of every single part of your life. Martin Luther once said, I have held many things in my hands, and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in God's hands, that I still possess. Why it is so vitally important that we put our lives in his hands, because everything else may disappear, but he has control of our lives. A life given unreservedly back to God as a love offering is what stewardship is all about. Christ says, out of love for me, forsake all you own, and your life will be truly blessed. Could we say that the disciples gave their whole life for Christ? but he gave his life for us first, right? At the top of page 7 in my book, which is, what, 10 in yours, Kara? 9? The answer to question number 4 is right there in the italicized words. So yes, word-filled eyes are focused eagerly on the scriptures. That means we hunger to see him in his word. Do we still hunger? I know Dan does. I know Pam and Terry do. But honestly, honestly, I think Terry's talked about this before. Does it waver sometimes? I know many times pastors asked us on Sundays to come up. If you want refill with that hunger, come up and let's pray for you. Let's fill you back up and get you hungry again. It wavers. Pressure, life, Satan, <laughs> all these things play havoc on you. And if you don't stay dug in deep, it wavers. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In John sixteen thirteen. However, when he, the spirit of truth, will be given, you will be given into all truths. So the word of God is truth. As we've mentioned many times, it's about the only truth we have to hang on to anymore. 
a world full of agendas and deceits and lies and cunnings. The Word of God is the only true source we have left to go to. So not only is His Word truth, but He gave us the Spirit of truth. That we may discern His Word in truth in all matters of life. It is as if, it is as we know truth exponentially that we too, like the psalmist, ought to cry out to our awesome Lord. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for yourself have taught me how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Does it become harder to tolerate lies? Is it is it has it become any easier to discern when people are Loading you with a trailer full of especially this month. And they are bombarding us. Yes, I know. And Brother Jeff, I'm sorry we didn't have enough. I got more books coming, but Okay. Oh. I think, Pastor, you quit watching TV too, didn't you? Harry? You and Pam hardly watch TV anymore also, right? Yeah. It's hard for them to understand because they're, they're, it's, it's so normal in their, in their life outside of home that when they get home, they're like, but why? I know, but then my papers go, so. Yeah, papers are contributed. <laughs> so, we're almost through with this chapter. Any questions so far? Before we try to get through chapter two? Everybody up to speed? Uh, the first five questions yeah the first five questions are Beyond reading the word faithfully, we should also be word we should also do word studies to pursue a theme of interest, read commentaries, do Bible studies, memorize scripture, and meditate on it upon it daily. 
if all you do is hear the word preached, you're like a person trying to grasp a softball with just your little finger. Adding hearing plus faithful reading is better, and adding study is better still. So we need to hear, read, study, memorize, and meditate upon God's word in order to firmly grasp the scriptures. Again, word-filled eyes. But not just eyes, ears, mouth, everything. Full of the word. And then on page eight is the question, the answer to question number five. We will never become mature disciples without having in to read, study, and obey God's precious word. That passion is what will inspire us to truly love Christ and others as he has commanded. Our actions should be word-filled also. Uh, in John 13, 34 and 35, it says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. And this begins and is most apparent in our homes. Our homes are the basic testing ground for learning how to love Christ's way. It is much easier to fool others who don't know about all our weaknesses, but it is the day-to-day -day relationships within our families that reveal our true character. It's really easy. I did a... When I very, very first started, I did a short sermon called Mask. It's really easy to leave your house and put your mask on, even if that means coming to church. To really see the trueness of somebody is the way they act at home. Hopefully, we have enough word and spirit in us that our character doesn't change from inside our home to what they see in public. So everybody got number five? So on the last page, as word-filled lives are spent intentionally on fruit-bearing for God's glory, that means we will walk in the Spirit. In John 15, 7 through 8, it says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Discipleship is an ongoing, lifelong process by which the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to conform the child of God into the image of God for the glory of God. He produces in us the fruit of God, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that fruit is manifested in a word filled discipleship's life as we go out in public and in our own families. And I encourage you, the questions, I'm pretty sure your, your books have, your books have so much more than mine does. At the end of the chapter, there's questions. And I encourage you, if, if you want to, for a deal of deeper study to go and answer those questions. Okay, we'll start chapter 2. I don't know if we'll get through it, but we shall start it anyways. So a word-filled life in ministry. So in Titus 2, 1. Huh? Really? Oh, no. Word-filled life in ministry? My chapter is almost all about Titus 2. Yeah, chapter 3 is word, word energized by hope. Wow. Yeah, now we can just correlate it all to 
I think. I think this is the one we have the most of with the, the new revised edition. See, but Pastures is not. See, and Pastures is uh, the joy of the, and mine is, mine is just the Wordsville family. So mine's like way older than, so that they, they take chapter two completely out of y'all's book then? So there's no Wordsville life and ministry? Well, if that's the case, then I'll just go through the answers for the last questions then. Yeah, see, that's chapter 3 in mine. Yeah, mine, uh, 3 in mine is uh, women energized by hope. That's 2 in y'all's. Well, I probably should just throw my book away then. I'll just have to use that book. I'll just have to order another one. I'll just I'll, I'll just put this one in my bookcase, and I'll order another one of those so that I can at least be on the same chapters as you guys. <laughs> well, okay, then I'll just do a short summary of this then. So this was a wonderful chapter. There was a lot of notes in it. Um, but it, it's, it's talking about mine's word-filled life and ministry. I, I don't think you do. Uh-uh, Dan says no. So you have a whole bunch of little ones? What are you saying? Okay. Okay. Well, after tonight, then by next next Wednesday, I'll prepare out of that book then. So it won't be so confusing. Okay. Okay. That'll be easier. Okay. Um, well, <clears throat> let's look at question six then. What's God's plan to save the unsaintly? Save them by grace and sanctify them by word. So, number seven, it says, list the six instructions for older men given in Titus 2. Sober, reverent, temperate, Secure in faith, secure in love, and sound in patience. In patience. One note in here. It says, ministry in Christ church was never easy from the start. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Pastor Titus, missionary church planter to Crete, says, look at the cultural background of the congregation. Titus served 2,000 years, the church he served 2,000 years. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Think of what a miracle it was to find a group of believers saved out of such a godly society. They came from centuries of culture dominated by total Always untrustworthiness, liars, total out-of-control living, evil beast, and the total undisciplined pursuit of personal lust-filled appetites. In America, at least, we have seen a pinnacle of Christianity and faith in our nation to seeing that being withered away from around us in this nation now. If God can make, make saints out of people whom Paul described as always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons, then God can change anyone, no matter how weak, how wicked, 
or how undisciplined. Question eight. List five instructions for older women in Titus 2. Reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, and admonishing others. We hear a lot of preachers talk about that the Bible is a guide to life. It's a life book. These things we're going over here in, in Titus are a great example of that, of how we should behave and administer ourselves daily, whether you're an old man, a young man, an old woman, or a young woman. Number nine, list the seven instructions Titus 2 gives to young women. Love your husbands. Love the children. Discreet. Chasten. Homemakers. Good. And obedient to husbands. Pastor pointed that out. <laughs> Number 10. List the six instructions Titus 2 gives to young men. And before I get into this, this is one thing. I know just from my own experience what Terry and Pastor have done for me as far as teaching me, as far as showing me examples, as far as me giving me something to, to put my life towards. To make an example from my life out of theirs. Pastor is one of the best men I've ever met at putting others before himself. Of praying for his sheep, of checking on his sheep, of I mean just he's he's been a really really true example. And then Terry is so much the same as my heart. Of the things that our heart breaks for, the things that we we teach on and stuff, it's just I mean you're a great example to me. I appreciate it. But when we were teaching Royal Rangers here, this was the same attitude I tried to put, and so did Teddy, into those boys. And it was paying off, wasn't it, Pastor? They were becoming gentlemen. They behaved good young men. We'd love to get that program back in church, but we have to have the people to do it. But that's what it's about. That's what the older men can do for the younger men, and the younger men can even do for those that are younger than them. Every man has the opportunity to mentor the person younger than they are. Mentor them in godly ways. So the answer is to number 10. Sober-minded, show a pattern of good works, show integrity in doctrine, Reverent, incorruptible, and showing sound speech. In women, I list, I tie sound speech in young men as slander and gossip in women. Not that men can't slander and gossip also. But it's very important, especially if, if you're mentoring someone, that you use godly words and godly examples in the way you talk. Because if you start speaking bad about your coworkers or about your boss or about your wife or about your kids, that's not the things that you need to be filling their heads with, especially if they're looking up to you as a mentor. So, I will get on board with the rest of you 
for next Wednesday. But I hope you all enjoyed this first part of it, even though you didn't have the second chapter. It's a powerful book. Uh, I mean, it is a lot of over and over again of the importance of the word in every part of your life. And if you're not reading the Bible, I encourage you, please start reading it now. All of it, cover to cover. Any questions? Nope. Any prayer requests? Yes, always. Always. Yes? Because Bob had a friend that was prayed for for cancer, and they can't find the cancer. Our neighbor across the street that, that we and other people in our neighborhood we were praying for her and she went to have the final test before the surgery on her thyroid cancer and the doctor's like you don't have no cancer oh, and yeah right. and so he tried to come up with some rational explanation and she she told him uh, I know who healed me you're not going to give me and then uh, our brother-in-law his sister's husband that we've been praying for um they thought he had blood cancer and then they thought this and then they're like what's wrong with you they can't yeah, find like anything yeah every time they they, just, they go it's like well that's not yeah so yeah amen so praise god yeah i i Absolutely. He's showing himself for sure. Oh, yes. Yes. 100%. Jeff? Good? Yep. Okay. Father, we thank you so much for this time. Father, we thank you for, for uh, getting to study this book, Father, and just diving into the importance of your word. Father, we pray for this nation, Father. We pray for resolve in this nation father we pray for for leaders of this nation from local to federal levels to want to do good and not harm for their people father god we pray that they seek to do good things in their lives and in their administrations in their offices and not seek to scheme and do evil things father we pray for for your churches father across this nation father to start speaking from behind the pulpits the full and true word of god father to get people ready and prepared father to get them brought up and saved father god in the midst of everything that's going on and in, in, in so many stories i hear from my my family uh from writers that they get of, of just so many problems and so many things that people are facing and the answer to all of it is jesus father we're just so grateful for your word father for your holy spirit father we're so thankful for this church for our pastor father for the time we have to come together for this building father for our church family, Father God, for healings, Father, for so many things that you're doing around this nation within the body, Father, of showing yourself, Father, so many things happening. Father, we're just so grateful. We're so thankful. We just love you with everything that we have, Father. We, and we ask every day to just grow more and more deeply in our walk with you. We love you always in Jesus' name. Amen.